Uh, hey, I'm really, really glad that y'all are here tonight, and we're really excited to begin this new series around living my best life, because let's call it what it is. This is an idea of what every single one of us want, and I think that in this season of life that you're in, living your best life is more possible for you than maybe any other season of life, because you're in college. Ah, No, it's you have so much freedom. There's so little responsibility, and you're like, I have so much responsibility. Not yet. Wait till you have children, okay? You don't have much responsibility. You have so much freedom. There's so much opportunity for you to do what you want to do. I think that the college-age season of life is one of the best seasons of life you're ever going to experience. And some of you may be like, that's awesome, but my experience hasn't been the best yet. That's okay. We're going to get there. Better today than yesterday. Better tomorrow than today. It is, it is up and up. We're going to get there. We're going to figure out how you can also live your best life. But in this season when you have so much to choose... So much of your current experience is probably going to determine whether or not you're living your best life. But to me in this season, why it's the best is because you have so much future opportunity in front of you. And I think that this is how boomers would say it. They'd say, guys, the world's your oyster. Well, I don't know what that means. And it's 2022 and we don't need boomers around here. So let me say it this way. The future life that you want is still fully in front of you. It's still fully available to you. Regardless of what you've done in your life up to this point, regardless of what you walked in here with, no matter how you responded last few moments in worship, the future life you want is still fully in front of you. And so all of us, every single one of us in this room would say, but we want to live my best life. That's what we want in life. That's what all of us want. And here's what I think is so incredible about Jesus, is that that's what he wants for you too. And so no matter how you came in here in terms of faith and whether you're super excited to have a relationship with Jesus and you're locked into a small group and you're completely involved or whether you're like, I'm still figuring this out. I'm not quite sure. I'm at a church. Like if you're confused, that's okay. Here's why you should consider following Jesus if you're not yet. It's one of the greatest reasons of why is because he wants you to have the best possible life. He wants you to be able to say that you're living your best life. It's actually what he said himself. When Jesus showed up and he does all this ministry for all this time, we actually see him say why he came here, lived the life he did, died on the cross, why he showed up to defeat death. It's for you. Here's what he says in John 10, 10. Take a look. It says, I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. This is what Jesus wants for you. And I know it's what you want for you as well. So we want to talk about how to find your best possible life because it's what we all want. We want our life to matter. I mean, you do. You want your life to matter. You want it to mean something. You want to get the most out of life. You want the more out of life. The idea of more and better, like, sign me up for that. Because no one would ever wake up and be like, I can't wait for today to suck. Oh, this is going to be so great. Woo, it's not even Monday yet. And like, no, we want better. We want more. Call it what it is. That's what we all want. We all want our life to be worth it. We want to get to the end of our life and say that everything we decided to do was worth it. We don't want to live with regrets. We don't want to live with negative connotations. We don't want bad experiences. We want it to matter. Really what I would say is you want your life to be valuable. That's what we want. We want our life to be valuable, for it to matter, for us to find the more and the better. And so really the question we need to figure out is, well then, what does the most valuable life look like? How do you find that most valuable life? What is it really to live a valuable life? Life And so I thought I'd ask Google, because what else do you do whenever you don't know what to do? You go to Google. That's what I do. And so I asked Google the question, what's the most valuable thing? And I bet if I asked you 
and I asked you to raise your hands and tell me, I'm kind of afraid of what you'd say, so I'm not going to do that, because all of our answers would be all over the place. But in less than a second, in less than a second, Google gave me four billion results. So the world's got some ideas on what the most valuable thing is. Hmm, who'd have thunk? Of all the responses, they were all very similar. But here's the top four. The first four that showed up is this. The 20 most expensive things in the world. The the 17 most expensive things on this planet. I don't know why we're talking about Mars, but it literally, it was read this planet, guys. The 15 most expensive things ever sold at auction. Fascinating, probably a lot of artwork. I don't know that I've ever gone to those. Or the 11 most expensive things ever stolen. I think they chose 11 because of Ocean's Eleven. If you don't like that movie, go educate yourself. It's great, okay? We love lists. That's what we love. You put a number in front of any kind of order of things and we are sold. And then you tell me that it's the most of something, I'm in. And there are so many of these lists. When you look up, what's the most valuable thing? But there's one consistency in all of the lists that showed up that tell us about what the most valuable thing is. And it's that word right there. Expensive. Expensive. The most valuable thing has to be tied to being expensive because this is what all of our lists say. This is what our world says. This is what our our culture says. This is what we all go after. This is what we want. I'm going to find that thing that's the most expensive. And so as a result, we start living life and we start thinking that the answer to the question, what's the most valuable thing, has to do with something of stuff. It has to do with something of expensive. It has to do with something with money. I would say it this way, that Many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, would say the most valuable thing in life is wealth. Wealth determines more of our decisions. It determines more of our future ambitions because wealth is the one thing that we all want more of. Watch this. How many of you are a broke college student? Raise your hand. Funny how that's all of us. Great. Um, Well, hey, I'm 15 years in front of you and I'm still broke. So good luck. Um, It's there for you, I promise, right? The future life you want is fully in front of you. For me too, it's it's there. No, but wealth is the one thing that the world says you need above everything else. It's why we all raise our hands. It's why there's a joke about being a broke college kid. Because it's what is put above everything else. It's what you should pursue over everything else. You should do whatever you can to get wealth because at the end of the day, it's how you're gonna provide for yourself. And at some point when you're not in college, you can get so much of it. You can get stacks of it, kind of like, like this. Guys, I have $5,000 in my hand right now. How many of you would like $5,000 right now? Your hand shot up so fast. <laughs> like, I'm sitting in the front row for a reason, yeah. If you're online watching, sorry, you're not here. I've got $5,000 that I'm trying to give out tonight. Um, there's $5,000. How many of you would say this is life-changing money if you had $5,000? Yeah, get a, get a, get a close-up on that. You say it's life-changing money? I love that all the leaders in the room are like, yes. Yeah. I don't even need to be a college student to say that. However, our resident was like, jaw to the floor, you're giving away what? It's like, yeah, well, I've got $5,000 in my hand. But having this money and thinking about wealth, uh, I was recently reminded of something when it comes to this was reminded of a problem when it comes to wealth. So my family and I, we just moved. Um, In case you didn't know, moving sucks. It's not fun. It's zero fun, actually. And so we moved. But one of the great things about this move is that we bought our house about six years ago, and we were able to gain some equity. Equity is a big money word that you're going to get to learn one day, and it's super important. And so we gained some equity. We had some value in our house. We were able to sell it and then use that money to get into our current house. 
But we had enough extra equity that we could use towards making it the house we really wanted. And so we moved into a house that needed some attention. It needed some work. It could have had a TV show. There was so much work. And we were, my wife was like, hey, what I really want is the right kitchen. Um, We got five little kids and like everything of our life revolves around making sure that they're eating at all times of the day for some reason. So the kitchen's the most important room in our house. And so Larson was like, we're gonna gut the kitchen. Let's make it the kitchen we really want. So we had enough extra coins of equity to where we were able to make it the kitchen we wanted. And so we got all the things, all the appliances bought. We got the design laid out. We had everything in the right place. And then we got some contractors to start working on it. They demoed the whole thing. And then we had one contractor who was going to build out our cabinets. Now, the way a kitchen works, you can't have anything in the kitchen until you have the cabinets. Because the cabinets have to be in place before they can measure the countertops. And the countertops have to be in place before you can have a sink. So we move into this house with no running water in our kitchen and five little kids everywhere. I'm washing dishes in the tub. Like, you want to talk about struggle bus? This guy, yeah. That was not my best life, but here we are now, a few months later, and I'm, I'm getting there, right? And so this guy's going to build our cabinets. He's going to be incredible. It's going to be the color we want. It's going to look the way we need. It's going to have form and function. We were so excited. And in the contract, he said, in three and a half weeks, I'm going to have you these cabinets. And we were like, sold. So we give him an installment of the money so we can start building him. And then three and a half weeks in, he's like, hey, we're ready to come and deliver the cabinets. Will you get the second installment of money? So at this point, we've given this guy $10,000. That's not a little bit of money. There was a response like, yeah, it's, I wish Jesus had kept me from it, but it's okay. Um, we gave this guy $10,000 three and a half weeks in for this project. Again, we had, we were, we had equity. We can go and use towards this. When you're 36 one day, maybe you'll understand. And then the next day, the day that he's supposed to bring the cabinets, he won't answer his phone. Exactly, exactly. Like, oh, no. Yeah, he won't answer his phone. He's nowhere to be seen. Like, I, in my head, I'm like, are you 12? Like, are you trying to avoid? What, what are you doing? Won't answer his phone. So a few days later, he, we finally get in touch with him. And he's like, yeah, something happened. We actually don't have them built yet. I was like, but you said you did. But, um... That's not what the contract says. You know, I'm trying to be nice and kind, but inside I'm raging. Like I'm going to blow something up is what I feel like inside. And so I end up going to his shop and I'm like, hey man, um, where you been? What you been doing the last, I don't know, five weeks at this point? Where are our cabinets? He's like, ah, oh, well, something happened and this and this and this and we get into an altercation. And so seven weeks in, this guy has not given us our cabinets. We have no running water in our kitchen for almost two months. Like it is, we're basically camping out in this new house is what it feels like. And it was so tough. And finally we had to pull the plug and realize like it's not gonna happen with this guy. And so we had to make the decision of we've gotta figure out someone else to do this. And so we lost $10,000. Are you okay? You, you sitting all right? All right. It happened to me and y'all are hurting. Like Exactly. See, the problem with wealth is you can lose it. The problem with wealth is that you can lose it. It can be stolen from you. Something can happen to it. Some unfortunate circumstance can make all this go away. Literally, whenever you take wealth and you take money, not only can you lose it, um, you can have stacks of it, and because it's just pieces of paper, it literally can burn. 
Are you okay? Y'all are freaking out a little inside right now. I feel it. That's really hot. I'm going to put it right here and let it burn. And then there goes all the money. Unfortunately, that can't be used anymore. But don't worry. It's fake money, okay? If I really did that, I'd be in jail. Can y'all chill out? This right here, this is, this is fake money. This is like it says, for movie production only, all right? Okay, government, this is not real, okay? Y'all are like, you just burned 5,000? It's paper, all right? But this is the problem. It's because a circumstance that was not something I asked for happened to me, and I lost my wealth. And so here's the question I have to ask you. If the most valuable thing in life, in your mind, and in society's mind, in our culture's mind, in America's mind, if the most valuable thing is wealth, there's a problem. Because why would you put all of your value in something you could lose? In something that's not secure, in something that's not reliable, in something that's not long lasting, in something that some idiot, incompetent cabinet maker can take from you? I would say that that's not living the best life. Finding all of your value in something that you can lose is not best, and I think we'd all agree with that. But see, there's another problem when it comes to wealth as your primary pursuit. And there are so many songs that have been sung about it, sung about it. There are so many movies that have been filmed about it, stories that have been written about it, because the problem with wealth is that it doesn't guarantee you a lot of things. Not only can it burn, and you lose it, but wealth doesn't guarantee that your relationships get any better. It can't guarantee that. It doesn't guarantee that you find more maturity in life and that you grow up to be a 40-year-old who doesn't act like a 14-year-old. Wealth doesn't guarantee that. And if anything, wealth, <laughs> it gives you a greater opportunity to show what immaturities you may have in life. Wealth doesn't guarantee that you become a better person. If anything, it gives you an opportunity to become a more selfish person. And so if we want to find the more life than we could ever dream of type of life, I think it's pretty clear that wealth can't be the focus. Now, wealth is important. It matters. You do need it to be able to survive and to have the things that you need in life. But if it is your primary focus, you're going to have a big problem. Because the problem with wealth is you can lose it. And so tonight I wanna to talk to you about two things. I really wanna ask you two questions when it comes to finding what's most valuable in life so that you can live the best possible life. How can I say I'm living my best life? Well, here's the two questions we gotta ask. First, what is the most valuable thing that you can find? And then the next logical question for you, and how do you get it? If it's the most valuable thing, then you would want it. If I was like, it's diamonds, you'd be like, cool, how do I find them? If it's money, awesome, how do I get it? But if it's not wealth, then we need to figure out what is it, and then how do I get it? And so the first question we're gonna talk about for the next few minutes, what is the most valuable thing that you can find? What's the most valuable thing that you can find? Where does your primary pursuit need to lie? There are plenty of examples within scripture that tell you all about this thing, of what you should pursue above everything else. But if you have a Bible, if you've ever read your Bible, if you've ever opened up your Bible, or if the only Bible you ever read is whatever comes on this plasma up here on the screen, that's fine too. Tucked in the middle of all the stories of your Bible, there's a book that is filled with examples and reasons of why you should pursue this thing, and it tells you what it is. It's a book that Miguel de Cervantes actually says 
is filled with a lot of short sentences drawn from long experiences. Let me say it again. This is a book filled with a lot of short sentences drawn from long experiences. In other words, it's like Twitter from someone who actually knows what they're talking about. Y'all are like, you just aged yourself. I haven't been on Twitter in ever because um, that's what old people do. It's fine. Twitter is a nightmare because everyone just talks. They have a microphone that they never deserved or never earned. Well, this book is filled with a lot of short sentences like that, but it's drawn from long experiences of life. It's the book of Proverbs. And Solomon, the author of Proverbs, actually starts to write out what is this most valuable thing through many of the chapters of Proverbs. But in Proverbs chapter eight, he starts to show us exactly what it is that we need to be pursuing and what the most valuable thing is. Look what he says. He says, you, talking to all of you, In other words, no matter who you are, I'm talking to you. You, I'm talking to all of you. Everyone out here on the streets. I would love to have listened to Solomon say that. Like, is he on a balcony yelling at people? Or is this like a slang thing? Like, has he got some swagger? I don't know. You, I'm talking to all of you, everyone out here on the streets. Don't miss a word of this because I'm telling you how to live well. I'm telling you how to live at your best. There it is. How do you live your best possible life? How can I say I'm living my best life? Solomon is wanting to tell you. But a lot of you in the room, the moment I say Solomon's gonna tell you, you've got this little disposition in you that I think I have. Watch. How many of you, like don't, how many of you don't like being told what to do? Show of hands. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like being told what to do. Even if it's like something simple. Like even if I'm gonna put my hand on an, on an oven that's super hot and my wife's like, don't do that. Or part of me wants to be like, don't tell me what to do. I'm gonna do it if I want to, Right? Or when she asks me, like, hey, will you put this cup up? I'm like, don't tell me what to do as I put it up because I'm a good husband, right? No, but there's something inside me that just doesn't like being told what to do. And I think that little disposition that we have is what makes us listen to what's about to be read with a little bit of arm's length. Like, I don't know who this Solomon guy is. I don't really know why he's saying this. What gives him the right to tell me what to do? I get it. I get it. I really do. But you need to listen to these words not as a command. The book of Proverbs isn't a a command that you have to go do because it's written from a source of someone who looks at people younger than him and says, I want you to find what's best, which is what you want as well. And so really Solomon writing this, it's an invitation. It's like a plea into this secret he's unlocked of something that all of us truly want. So watch what Solomon says. So as I'm talking to all of you, here it is. I need you to prefer my life disciplines over chasing after money and God knowledge over a lucrative career. And right here, you're probably like, but Matt, that's exactly what the world says I should do. Why would I not pursue a lucrative career? Why would I not do that? It's literally why I'm in college. It's so that I can figure out how to have a career. Why would I not pursue that? Why is it that I don't need to Go after that first. Why God knowledge? Why life disciplines over those things? I think Solomon would sit there in the rest of the chapter and tell you, like, those things aren't bad, but they can't be primary. Why can't they be primary? Because you can lose those things. Because you can lose a job. Because you can lose your income. Because you can lose a lucrative career. You can lose money. You can lose wealth. But the life disciplines of what Solomon starts to talk about, that God knowledge, what he says is that it's better. He says this, he says, for wisdom, 
For wisdom is better than all the trappings of wealth. There's our dichotomy. For wisdom is better than all the trappings of wealth. Nothing you could wish for holds a candle to her. For wisdom is better than all the trappings of wealth. I love that he calls it trappings because this is exactly what wealth does. We think we're pursuing wealth and then we get trapped by it. See, the problem isn't that you have wealth. The problem is when wealth has you. And what Solomon is saying is there's something far better to go after because wisdom can guarantee you what wealth can't. You can lose wealth. Wisdom will never leave you. Wealth doesn't guarantee that your relationships get uh, get any better, but wisdom can. Wealth doesn't guarantee that you grow in maturity, but wisdom can. Wealth doesn't guarantee that you become a better person, but wisdom can. See, with all the wealth in the world, you can still sit there and think and say and feel there has to be something else, there has to be something more, there has to be something greater. But when you find wisdom, what you start to see is that there is something greater. There is something else. There is something more. It's fully there for you, something longer lasting, something more secure. There is something that is truly going to lead to you finding more life, a better life, a fuller life, a better life, a richer life, but not of money, of maturity. See, the more than you could ever dream of type of life that Jesus wants for you, it's a life that's filled with wisdom, not necessarily filled with wealth. Can it have wealth in it? Yes. But is it driven by the pursuit of wealth? No. Because what Jesus wants for you to find is a more and better life than you could ever dream of. Let me say it this way when it comes to wisdom. See, wealth can make your stuff better, but wisdom can make your life better. Wealth can make your stuff better, but wisdom can make your life better. And at the end of the day, nobody really wants to say that my life is empty, right? I'm living my best life is not an empty life. No one at the end of their life is gonna think like, I had so much stuff, but I had no relationships. I had no connection. I had no love. I was isolated. I was alone. And I had a lot of fake friends all around me. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants an empty life. But there are countless stories of people who have way too much stuff on the outside and are way too empty on the inside. John Rockefeller, the oil tycoon from the early 20th century, one of the richest men on the planet about 100 years ago, was asked one time, how much wealth is too much? Great question to ask one of the richest people on the planet. And his answer is so telling of the idea of wealth as a trap. His answer, how much, how much wealth is too much wealth? He said, just a little bit more. Just, just a little bit more is too much. Because what wealth does is it always leaves you wanting. It always makes you want more. It's always a further pursuit of the more and the better and the greater stuff. But if what you truly want is a more and better and greater life, then it can't be driven by wealth. It's gotta be driven by wisdom. And when you start to pursue wisdom over wealth, here's what happens. You start to see these massive differences between the two things. And maybe one of the best possible things when it comes to wisdom for every one of you in the room today is the reality that wisdom is available for everyone. Wisdom is available to everybody. And that's great news because guess what? Wealth isn't. And if you're like, yeah, I'm a poor, broke college kid. Yeah, but you're in America. You got here. You have clothes. You are in the tippy top, upper 1% of the world's economy. 
We have more wealth than we know what to do with. And yet there's something within us that's like, but I can't have enough. There's something keeping you from it. But wisdom, wisdom is available to everyone. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter the zip code you live in. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter the privilege of your parents. It doesn't matter what career you choose or how esteemed the college is that you attended or if you're even in college. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what career and the salary that you have, if it's some high-paying job or if you're scraping by a minimum wage. See, wealth is often limited by systemic difficulties. But wisdom is never restricted by outside forces beyond your control. It's available for everybody because all that's required to get wisdom, the only thing that's actually required of you to get it is to simply take a look back into your own past decisions. So I'm gonna give you a definition of wisdom. This is my working definition of what wisdom is. If it's the most valuable thing and you need to get it, here's what wisdom is. Wisdom is, a, is looking to the past. It's the first part. It's looking back to your life and allowing your past to inform your present. It's looking back and knowing what have I done, where have I been, and how did I get here? Because wisdom is looking to the past to know what's going to happen in the future. It sees the past and it says, oh, okay, I'm gonna see what's gonna happen later. In other words, if you find wisdom, you can tell the future. Because what wisdom does is it allows you to play this cause and effect game that whether you wanna live in the reality of it or not, every single one of us are living under. Every one of us live in a cause and effect type of world. As John Mark Comer says, this pastor out in Portland, he says, you make decisions and then your decisions make you. See, sometimes those decisions you make are great. Like we all know what great decisions are and we know the consequences that come from great decisions. Like as an example, for all of you that are trying to find community, we talked about small group. One of the things you'll find in small group is that whenever you open up in small group to your friends, in spite of your decisions, you're gonna see that they still accept you. And that level of belonging is something that every person in this room wants. You're gonna find it in small group. That's a good consequence to a good decision. Or some of you are gonna be able to give generously to someone in need and you're gonna see that it helps them, but it also fills me. For some of you, it's like, you just need to literally go outside and see the sun. Like, oh, well, look, there it is. Huh, interesting. Breathe fresh air, and you'll start to see that the depression and the anxiety scientifically start to lessen with fresh air. It's a good decision. And it's an everyday type of thing you can do. When you wake up early, you see that you're more productive. When you spend time with, that's un, undistracted and quiet, alone, silent time with Jesus, you see your relationship with him starts to build. When you, here you go, ready? When you study for your test, you see your grades get better. And some of you are like, wait a minute, what? Yeah. When you study for your test, you get better grades. It's crazy. And so we also know because of that, that the opposite is true. That there are negative consequences to our decisions as well. Like when you don't study for your test, you don't get good grades. Again, some of you are like, well, I cannot believe what he is saying right now. Yeah, if you spend more time on TikTok than in your book studying, you might not get good grades. And you're like, I, there it is. That's all I needed. Everything is awakened to you now. The veil has been torn. No, that's a silly example of a negative consequence that you're like, I don't care about tests anymore. I get it, me neither. But sometimes our negative consequences to our decisions hit far worse. Like when I yelled at her 
I noticed that the trust was broken and the relationship ended. When I had too many drinks, I found myself making decisions that I never thought I would do. I compromised in my beliefs and then I had so much regret later on because of the foolishness that I feel. Or about this one? When I looked at porn and I felt like it was this victimless thing, a solo act that didn't really affect anyone else, but every single time I look at it, I realize there is a shame and a weight and a heaviness that sits on me after I look at it. I become more impatient. I become more irritable. There's a darkness that I can't escape when I look at pornography. And if we can call it what it is, this is not just a guy thing. Girls, I know there are many of you that struggle with this too. There's a negative consequence to the decisions that we make. Whenever you harm yourself or you cut yourself, you are always still hurting at the end of it. It never actually brings the healing and the help that you still need. And for some of you, maybe it's that you dwell on your past, the things that were done to you that you never asked for. And in those moments when you dwell on your past so hard, what happens is those previous painful memories become part of your present. And that pain and that frustration, that anxiety and that anger or that rage becomes filled up within you. But can I tell you the other remarkable thing about wisdom? Is that regardless of the experiences you've had or the circumstances you found yourself in, all of you can find wisdom, no matter where you are, because it doesn't have to be your own past. See, wisdom is looking to the past to know what's gonna happen in the future, but that past that you look to doesn't have to be your own past. Because some of you were like, but I don't struggle with pornography, but I haven't dealt with this, or I didn't have that bad night. I don't know how to navigate this because I've never been there before, but someone else has. So when you feel like you're in a new situation and you want wisdom to navigate it in the best possible way, it doesn't even have to be your own past that you look to. It can be the past of someone else. It can be the past of someone in a season ahead of you who's already lived it, who's already unlocked it, who's already figured it out. And can I tell you who those people are? At TLR, they're your small group leaders. So if you wanna be in a community and in a group of people where you're able to get wisdom all the time, join a small group. You wanna live the best possible life? Join a small group because we give you a mentor to help you in your season of life. And that's what we all need as a mentor. And some of you are like, but I can't do a small group because of this and this and this, and I don't really have any older people in my life to look to that have made good decisions. Every single one of you, if you have a Bible or you ever look in a Bible, the Bible is filled with divine mentors. There are dozens and dozens of characters who got it wrong all the time or got it right a lot of the time that you can learn from. You can pull someone else's past into your present to make sure that your future gets even better. That's what's available to you. That's why wisdom is so valuable. Because whenever you learn from your past and you bring it to your present, you can start to change your future, it's the last piece, before it happens. Wisdom is looking to the past to know what's gonna happen in the future before it happens. When I did this, it didn't end up well. So guess what? I'm not gonna do it again. That's wisdom. When I didn't do this, it still ended up okay. So I'm not gonna do that this time. That's wisdom. Wisdom is looking to the past to know what's gonna happen in the future before it happens. So for every one of you in the room tonight, that first question, what's the most valuable thing you can find in your life to say, I'm living my best life? It's wisdom. It's what you need. It's what's gonna get you where you wanna go. 
it is the thing that Solomon says is primary. He says, go and tra- trade everything you have, sell everything you can to get wisdom first. And so then that's the next logical question. Cool, that's great, Matt. So how do I get it? Because I may not know how to look into my past. I may not know how to do this. I may not have had the experiences. I may not have a mentor. How do I actually get it? And this may be the most important question of the night. Because the way that you get it, it's so determined upon the posture of your heart. See, all the knowledge in the world of what consequences may come from your decisions still don't keep you from making unwise choices. Right? Like, how about this? How many of you would say that cheating on a test is bad? Really? All right, so next month we talk about cheating. Yeah, no. Being dishonest and cheating on a test, every one of y'all know it's bad, and yet every one of y'all do it. Or how about this? Let's make it worse. Ready? Cheating on your spouse? Okay, thank you. I mean, geez. Father, they get it. This is great. Thank you, yeah. No, cheating on your spouse? Far worse. And yet it happens all the time. Looking at pornography, it's a black hole of death. If you want to ruin the intimacy in your marriage, watch pornography. It's not real life, and it's not what God designed, and yet we keep going back to it. All the knowledge in the world of the consequences doesn't necessarily mean we still make now wise choices. The knowledge of your past is one thing. The knowledge of what happened is one thing. But there's one more huge key to actually gaining the wisdom that you want. See, how do you get it? The first thing you gotta know is you have to ask for it. You have to ask for it. Because at the end of the day, the source of all the wisdom you're gonna get is God. God is the one who designed it, who created it, who gives it to you as a gift, and so you have to ask for it. And the reason we know you have to ask for it is because Solomon himself shows us what this looks like. See, Solomon was the king of Israel. His father was David, the first king of Israel. And when Solomon steps into the throne to become king of Israel, God looks at him and says, Solomon, you're gonna get something no one else has ever gotten and no one else ever will get because here's what God said to Solomon in 1 Kings chapter three. He said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. In other words, I'm not a genie in a lamp. I don't sit here and exist for your wishes all the time. But right now, Solomon, I'm gonna give you one. Ask for whatever you want for me to give you. Here's what Solomon replies with to this incredible opportunity. He says, you've shown me great kindness, or you've shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. He says, you have continued this great kindness that you showed him. You've continued and have given him a son. This is Solomon to sit on his throne this very day. So now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and I do not know how to carry out my duties. And at this moment we see I'm only a little child and in your brain I guarantee you that you just thought of like a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old or a kid in elementary school And what we've found out, what history tells us is that Solomon, when he says this, I'm just a little child, he's 20 years old. He's you. 
He's sitting here with a future that he doesn't know where it's gonna come from. He doesn't know how to make the right decisions. He wants to live his best life, but he doesn't know how to do it. And so here's his response to God as a 20-year-old to this incredible opportunity to ask for anything he wants. I'm terrified to say, hey, what would you ask? What would you actually want God? Like, no, all of us would say things that probably aren't what Solomon did, but watch what happens when Solomon asks for this. He said, because of this, I want you, please, Jesus, please give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern the great, this great people of yours? He asks for a discerning heart to know how to, how to navigate right and wrong. That's wisdom. And the reason why it matters so much about how he asks is because watch God's response. It says, the Lord was so pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, since you've asked for these things, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and ministering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart. The posture of your heart towards God and his ability to give that to you, for you to trust him, for you to want wisdom the most, matters so much as you get it. So how do you get it? The first thing you have to do is what Solomon did. You have to ask for it. But the fact that Solomon would be called the wisest man who ever lived and the author of all these Proverbs, this, these short sentences drawn from long experiences, the only reason is because he took the knowledge that God gave him and he applied it to his life. Because wisdom is applied knowledge. The knowledge alone isn't one thing. You've got to be able to apply it. Because wisdom is an everyday thing. It's not passive. It doesn't just stay stored up on the side for a rainy day. No, it's active. It's every single day living my best life. Wisdom shapes you. It guides you. It counsels you. And it warns you of when it's no longer going to be your best life. Wisdom is what truly unlocks your ability to say, I'm living my best life, but only when you act on it. So how do you get wisdom? First, you ask for it, and then you act on it. You see the danger that's coming your way, and you avoid it. You see the things that are gonna be great with good community around you, and you go after it. You avoid the pitfalls. You live with fewer regrets. You find the joy in every single moment of life when you choose to act on the wisdom that you have been given. And you start to realize that you can have wealth, you just don't let wealth have you. Because here's what we do. If you wanna go get this, if you wanna find out how to apply it to your life, if you wanna know what the pursuit of wisdom looks like, here's three simple things you do, you ready? The first is you learn. You learn from your past and the past of others. But the way that you learn from your past and the past of others is you listen. You get a mentor around you, you get friends around you, and you start to listen after you ask questions. So many of us are like, hey, I got a question. Okay, cool, now let me give you my own answer first. Like, no, 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 stop. Chill out and listen. You learn and you listen and you pray. And you ask God to give it to you because when you do, he gives it in droves. There is no holding back him giving it to you because what he wants for you is a more and better life than you could ever dream of. But he knows the way you get that can only be found through wisdom. And so what wisdom can do is it can give you a filter for your life. It can be applied into every area of your life and it will allow you to navigate life in the best and easiest possible way. 
So whenever you go into your situations in life and you want to apply wisdom, this is all you have to do. You ready? When you want to know what's best for you, ask. What's the wise thing to do? When you want to know what's best for you, ask. What's the wise thing to do? And if you feel like you don't know the answer to that question, go ask a mentor. Go ask someone older. Go ask a pastor. Go get wise counsel to answer. What's the wise thing to do? Because it's most valuable and because it's what truly leads to your best possible life. See, when you can do this, when you can apply that question, that filter into your life, it changes every facet of your life. So the next few weeks, we wanna talk about what does wisdom look like when it is applied to your relationships? How much better do they truly become? What does wisdom look like when it is applied to your wealth, to your money? We're gonna talk about money. How does a life actually look like you're living my best life when it comes to money? Whenever you have wisdom involved, what does it look like? And then also, how does it actually make your life better when it comes to your identity, to your confidence? What would wisdom say to the comparison trap that all of us play because we're on social media? What does it look like to find our joy not from someone else's highlight reel, but from real life in our own life? We wanna talk about that over the next few weeks because ultimately what I want for you is to find the more and better life than you could ever dream of. And it's what Jesus wants for you too. So I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna start pursuing and we're gonna start figuring out what it looks like to live a life of wisdom starting now. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are so clear with us, that you give us such a clear opportunity to find what is best. And Jesus, I'm just grateful for your heart for us, that in spite of what we've done, you love us anyways, that there's no person in here, regardless of their past, regardless of how bad it may be, you look at every single one of us and you say, I love you exactly as you are and I want what's best for you. So Father, my ask is that in the name of Jesus, you would show us what that best life looks like. And I just ask that every student under my voice and every person watching online, that they would choose to go after that first. May we prioritize wisdom over wealth. May we prioritize wisdom over selfishness. May we prioritize wisdom over comfort. And as we do that, Jesus, I just ask that you would meet us, that as we draw near to you, that you would draw near to us. So thank you for loving us first. We love you right back. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.